0: With the significant number of episodes in the Stages archive, it's time to revisit conversations featured in our previous seasons. Stages spotlight such episodes in case you missed them the first time round, or so you can simply savour a second listen. Either way, you'll be accessing precious oral histories from the people who were there on and around our Stages. Welcome to this episode of Stages Spotlight, Conversations Revisited. And we revisit a conversation from June 2019 with Broadway and West End star Ruthie Henshaw. When we spoke with Ruthie, she was in the middle of an Australian tour, leading to a season at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival. Ruthie's tour was produced by Ender Markey. The Adelaide Cabaret Festival for 2022 kicks off today and runs until June 25th. Ruthie generously shared her story and provided terrific insight into the rewards and challenges of navigating a career as one of the world's most consummate musical theatre performers. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Ruthie Henschel.
1: I got rhythm, I got music, I got my man who could ask for anything more. I got daisies, in green pastures I got my man who could ask for anything more old man trouble I
0: BBC described Ruthie Henshaw as a megawatt talent shining in all its dazzling brilliance. Scottish print media, The Scotsman, commented she has the kind of brilliant high-voltage stage personality that can light up whole cities. Fair to say, Miss Henshaw is the definition of a star. Ruthie Henshall made her West End debut in 1987 in Cats, navigating several of the feline family before assuming the pivotal role of Grizabella. The supremely gifted 19-year-old would go on to become a five-time Olivier Award nominee for a succession of roles in Crazy For You, Chicago, Peggy Sue Got Married and Marguerite, winning for the role of Amalia in the London revival of She Loves Me. Her list of theatre credits is extensive, and in an extraordinary accomplishment, audiences have seen her play the three female principal roles in the musical Chicago. Originating the role of Roxy in The West End giving her Velma on Broadway and returning recently to the London production in the role of matron Mama Morton. As a recording artist, she can be accessed in various cast recordings and several solo albums, including the Ruthie Henshaw album, Pilgrim and Love Is Here To Stay, a celebration of Gershwin. She's also an author. So You Want To Be In Musicals, released in 2012, is available from all good booksellers. Audiences cite her as one of their favourite voices, a consummate storyteller who navigates a lyric with nuance and strength and the power to affect an audience in a range of emotional responses. She's one of the world's leading musical theatre performers. Currently in the middle of an Australian tour, Stages was delighted to have the opportunity to traverse the many stages of Miss Ruthie Henshaw. Ruthie, it's absolutely thrilling to have you on this episode of Stages. Thank you so much. Thank you for um, having me. You're currently in Australia uh, with a concert tour, live and intimate. So, what a thrill to have you personally live and intimate. Um, you opened at the Opera House on Thursday night in the studio. How did that go?
2: It went very well, actually. Um, it was, um, I mean, it was quite a- an experience for me because to come all the way over here with a brand new show where a lot of the material that I was doing I haven't done before, so it was all very new. And uh, you'd think I'd be, you know, smart enough to come over here with stuff I'd done before. <laughs> but I wanted to really well, make myself...
0: Have a challenge. Yes. Yeah, and arrive. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, you had been here once before to the Theatre Royal, wasn't it, a big Sondheim concert?
2: That's right, yes.
0: So it must have been a thrill playing the iconic opera house.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, I was saying... Um, the other day that there are sort of three concert halls that you really want to play um, and that is, you know, the Albert Hall, Carnegie Hall and the Sydney Opera House, you know, and sort of to tick those off your bucket list and, and it really feels like, you know, a big deal.
0: So you've done Albert Hall, of course. Yes. At Carnegie? No, no not yes. So your bucket list yeah, is still live, yeah, which is yeah. great. Yeah, fantastic. It's
2: got to be still alive. Otherwise, you know, it's it's done, isn't it? You've <laughs> got nowhere to go.
0: <laughs> uh, so how does the Opera House figure for a young girl growing up in Bromley? Is mm. is that on your psyche? Are you aware of the Opera House? I mean, Australia, um, kangaroos, koalas?
2: That's so. about as, as much as I was aware of, of Australia, really. You know, it, 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 I think to... I know this sounds like a really stupid thing to say, um, an and obvious thing to, to say, but it just seems so far away that it's. Oh, it's a huge flight. It, oh my Twenty-two hours or goodness. something. And it just so it, it seems like another planet, not another country. You know, as Australia to me.
0: Can you sleep on the plane? Do you, Do you know sleep? what I did? You did it? great.
2: We did the two hops, as in. Hong Kong and then over here and I think that's a really good way to do it because I think you need
0: a bit of a break or a rest yeah. yeah yeah
2: but but it's that thing of staying awake if you can for the first leg and then sleeping for the second leg which is your night and just to adjust
0: to the, the time yeah. zones yeah, yeah and suddenly
2: yeah. you get on your time zone because the last time I came I have never felt jet lag like it it was brutal
0: so you're a bit prepared this time yeah
2: yeah excellent,
0: excellent. thank goodness So you've, of course, Australia, uh, London, Broadway, uh, you've played all around the world, no doubt, other dates I've I've not even mentioned. Do audiences differ culturally? Yes. Yeah?
2: Yes, very, very much so. Um, I I think I I was shocked when I first went to Broadway because I couldn't believe how vocal the audience was. Right. And I thought, oh, my goodness.
0: So during the show as well? Yes,
2: yeah. 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 Um, But I think because, you know, as a culture... The English people are so reserved, you know. If you get a standing ovation, you know, it's it's kind of um, you know a happy day. <laughs> something's going on. Well, that
0: seems de, de rigueur in on Broadway, doesn't it? It's it's yes. part of the experience. You go to a Broadway show, that's you've got right. to stand up at the end.
2: That's right. Which I think, you, you know. <clears throat>
0: it's bizarre. I sit there sometimes I think, yeah, really, really? Do we need to be standing? But look, I have a theory also. It's just those seats are so small. People just need to stretch.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that because I'm exactly the same. There are times when I've been in the theatre and I've thought, yeah, it was good, but wow, you know, it it wasn't that good. no, <laughs> you know? no
0: exactly. Yeah. Or racing out to the car park.
2: Yeah, that's it.
0: Valentine Ruth Henshaw. is Valentine a family name? Not at all. My mm-hmm. mother was watching Judy Dench
2: in a, a program, and uh, she was her name was Valentine in the um, in the piece, and uh, she whether I was a boy or a girl, I was going to be called Valentine. So there you go.
0: Fantastic, Val. Uh, uh, no, no, you didn't play Belle. You played Maggie in A Chorus Line, did, your yes. professional debut. Yes. Which is great. Yes. And, of course, you went on to work with Judy Dench.
2: I did, yes. Um, Don't you
0: love synchronicity?
2: <laughs> and she was such a beautiful human being. Um, when she was in uh, Little Night Music, mm. I wrote to her at the National, and she wrote back and said, you know, if you ever come and see it again, please do come, you know, say hello, because I'd written to her to say I was blown away by her performance. Well, that
0: would have been 96, and you were in, were you doing Nancy and Oliver at the time? I was doing Nancy. Because I was in London at the time, I saw Night Music, I saw Oliver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I also, um, when I made my uh, Broadway debut, I had some flowers at the stage door and they were from Judy Dent, she happened to be over there and she just wow. said, Welcome to Broadway, you were wow. just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really classy and oh, a lasting memory.
0: So Ruthie, was that for professional reasons, or was that, that you were always called Ruthie as a child? Yeah,
2: yeah. But I think I think they realised that Valentine was a bit of a mouthful, yeah. Mum didn't like Val, she didn't like Tina, she didn't like any of that, so um, it became Ruth, and then I was always called Ruthie by so it, it, fondly, and Ruth was always when I was in trouble, so...
1: I, yes, oh, that's so quite good, actually. When
2: I went into the business, I just put the I.E. on the end, because everyone used to call me that, and... And I'm glad I did, I suppose. If I could go back, though, I would call myself uh, Ruth Valentine.
0: Oh, right, as a stage name. Yes, I should have had that one. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Shirley was already taken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In my introduction to this episode, I mentioned that, you know, you're a five-time Olivier Award nominee, winning for Amalia in She Loves Me, but also, you know, um, uh, Crazy For You, Chicago, Peggy Sue Got Married and and Marguerite. Do you have a a, a favourite role amongst all of those?
2: Crazy For You, hands down. Yeah? Yeah. Why so? Because it was like an MGM musical on stage, and that's what had made me fall in love with... Musical theatre was watching all of those, and like you know, I I couldn't believe my luck when this you know Gershwin, all singing, all dancing, all comedy, you know, girl and boy, you know, fall in love, put on a show, save the theatre, and 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 all's well that ends well.
0: It's why we run away and join the circus, don't we? The That's theater. it. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and it was my breakout role as well. So all all, all these dreams became realised in this this one show so it will always have a special place in my heart
0: so you win an olivier award uh it's a f- tremendous accolade for your your performance obviously how does that affect you personally because you won at quite a young age
2: didn't you yes yeah. and and i think let, let's be really honest i mean I, I was definitely an ambitious girl i the and, and ambitious and... Well, I think you have, I You've got to, to be, be
0: really hungry for this if you're going to survive in this business, don't you? You've That's got to put right. it before everything else. That's right.
2: You've yeah. got to eat, sleep and breathe it, really. And, yeah. and I knew that I didn't want to be in the chorus for my career. I, I wanted to be at the front. And uh, Claude-Michel Schoenberg always says that when I first went on for Ellen in Miss Saigon, you know, I, I came past him and I said, I've been at the front, I'm never going back. <laughs> and he remembers that. And that that was who I was. And so you know it, it 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 is one of those i wanted to be i want i wanted the career that i've got and um that's why i kind of believe that you really can have anything you want if you want it enough mm. and there sort of becomes those um you know there's the ribbon at the end of at the finish line and if you know if you know where the finish line is you can kind of you know head that in the right direction
0: yeah does the award open up career opportunities for you do um, people take note or
2: yes yeah. definitely and I think you know you pretend uh, or, or most people pretend that you know it really doesn't matter you know it's it's the nominating you know being nominated that counts but you know the, the kind of girl I was, you know, was just, no, I wanted that award. I, I really did. And you think it's because it's, it's that the whole of the industry is there and suddenly you feel like you're somebody in this industry. So I, I was thrilled when I won it. And, and it does suddenly become, you know, people start using it. Olivier Award winner, and, mm. and uh, you know to uh, publicize things, and and suddenly you know it, it's like it's like your industri- industry has backed you up. So yes, I think it does feel like it means and propel something. you with a
0: bit more confidence, I guess, mm. in, in your belief in your own ability. Yes, yeah, yeah.
2: yes. I, I thi- it can't help but you know make you feel good. You'd be a liar if you said it didn't. You know, because when when they call out your name. You know, I remember that the the first uh, time was for crazy for you. Look, my mother, she can't help herself. Uh, She was, you know, very, very... um, She thought I, you know, I should get everything. And uh, so the second time we were going, she said, well, she said, you know, I'm not going to the party if you don't win. And uh, so there was this moment where they called out my name and I heard her saying... She wanted, and I thought, "Oh, thank goodness for that! We can get the party." <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, Otherwise, you had to take mum home. You know, mm. she didn't like, mm. Mm. Uh, You've been on the ground floor of a couple of musicals, *Margarites* and piggy Got Married*. Yes, is how thrilling, well, thrilling, fulfilling. What's that like? I guess to be able to craft a role and create a character. It's
2: it's the it's the biggest honour you get because to work creatively with the creative team and to. Um, like Marguerite, we sort of wrote bits um, and said, you know, that that's not getting this, that story's not getting told. What do we need to say? And um, you, you're the blueprint. So anybody else who comes along after that is doing what you did. So you create as well. And of course, it was um, Marguerite was Michelle Legrand, and um, you know Claude, Michel, and Alain. and the
0: greatest songwriters. Um, in the
2: world, oh you know? my lord! It was. It was, and it was a beautiful production. You know, visually it was a feast, um, and the music was glorious. But it was, um, you know, the Northern Rock collapsed, and we didn't really, you know, we we struggled in the end, which is why I think we did about seven months,
1: right.
2: and. I I thought it was a real shame but I think it was quite dark as Mm. well it Mm. really was a dark piece
0: look you you talk about the Northern Rock collapsing and affecting the show you know in September 11 I know affected a lot of shows Chicago in its original run didn't do as well as it could have been it's gone on to become a juggernaut of course but but Often it's about the timing of a piece, isn't it? Yeah. Whether it takes off or not.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and then Chicago, you know, 20 years later with that revival production has gone on for 20-something years.
2: Well, we, we came on the heels of the O.J. Simpson case. Oh, OK. okay. We opened in, in London, you know, l- literally on the heels of that. And so there was a prime example of, you know, getting away with murder because mm. of, you know, being a, a celebrity because, you know, he was done in the end. Yeah.
0: Um, so it became a bit more relevant again, didn't it? Uh,
2: very relevant. Out. Every time it comes back, it just seems to speak to people because we are a celebrity-obsessed um, nation now.
1: as yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the chickies in my pen They'll tell you I'm the biggest mother hen I love them all and all of them love me Because the system works The system called reciprocity Always sees me through When you're good to mama Mama's good to you. There's a lot of favors I'm prepared to do You do one for mama She'll do one for you see that life is tit for tat And that's the way I live So I deserve a lot of tat For what I got to give Don't you know that this hand Washes that one too When you're good to mama Mama's good to you
0: You've had quite... An extraordinary experience with Chicago mm. um, in '97, um, the London revival playing Roxy. Yeah, you gave your Velma on Broadway, yeah. and you've been back recently in the London production as Matron Morton.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
0: What's it like seeing the show from those different angles?
2: Ah, uh, um, they they really are different. I always I always say that that you know Roxy is the chandelier, and Velma is the helicopter of oh, you excellent. know. Yeah. It's about the the performances rather than the set, and it, for a while there, it became about the show.
0: So, and his matron, Morton, and the barricade.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm stealing that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it completes the trio, but it's such an exciting female-driven show, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And um, y- you know, we knew it had been successful on Broadway, but you never know how the British people were going
0: to. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, you know, um, but from the moment that the the posters went up, people were fascinated by it. You know, you, the, the posters, you'd go down on the tube and they were beautiful men and beautiful women in
1: black underwear, really. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely.
2: And it was, you know, whether you were male or female, you were going to get something out mm. of, mm. you know, l- looking at those beautiful people.
0: And the Weislers, I think, Fran and Barry Weissler, the producers, have done an extraordinary job in, I don't want to use the word pantomime, but it's that sort of pantomime casting, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the stunt casting, I guess. That's There's a series right. of actors that have gone in and, and played the roles, which guarantees a whole new audience every, every time it happens. Very, very smart.
2: Mm. You know, there have been times when you think, really?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, that has kept the show open and relevant for years Because, you know, you you can come and see it multiple times, and it will change Mm. because of the people who are in it.
0: You've said that Roxy shouldn't be played by any actor unless they're in their forties. I absolutely agree with you. But why?
2: Well, because I played it at thirty and forty. And
0: okay, so you've seen it from both sides now. Mm.
2: Definitely, and you know, although. You know, I I wouldn't uh, trash what I did when I was thirty. Um, the experience that I had at forty uh, informed my performance definitely in a very different way. Um, I def I, I enjoyed it
0: more at forty. Well, you know, you looked at the text. There is that fabulous line: "I'm older than I ever intended to be." That's right.
2: Yeah,
0: I, th- I think it says it all. That's
2: her, her monologue. Roxy's monologue is so um, full at forty. You know, at four. You know, between thirty and forty, I'd, you know, had children, had family. You know, um, uh, you know, leave us. Uh, you know, die and and and. There was so much that had happened in those 10 years that informed the way I, you know, played her that for me it was just... um, Yeah, I, 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 I felt much more able to inhabit her at 40.
0: How does motherhood change you as an actor?
2: Well, I think that... It doesn't make things easier. I, I mean, I talk about it in the show, but it makes it simpler because, you know, I've been a, a single mum for ten years, and what that has meant is that I've got to pay the mortgage, mm-hmm. but I've also got these two girls who need me as well. And I think people who say, you know, kids are real, you know, resilient, and um, I, I think yes, that is true but it doesn't mean that they don't get very, very hurt and insecure about the fact that the one person, you know, who's their go-to is not there. Mm. And eight shows a week is brutal, so that you are... Your one day off is Sunday, and you are really trying to be a great mum whilst being absolutely exhausted as well. Mm. So um, I, I, I would say that it has been... A l- of course a lot more difficult when it's just you you know people used to say how do you do it because I'd be out all night and you know uh, my life was so full um, but all you've got is you to worry about mm-hmm. and I remember when I had children thinking god this is such a relief because I'm so tired of me I'm so tired of me being the only focus and yeah. um, You know my career. My, you know, what am I doing next? Who, you know, it becomes that they just bring you such a sense of, you know, selflessness that when you're in, you know, my business, it can really become a little bit self self obsessed Yeah, Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get
2: over your cheap self. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) What about on stage? You know, you think of a role like Mrs. Wilkinson in Billy Elliot. Uh, it must give you an empathy, a, a maternal instinct, you know, that that character has towards Billy that you probably couldn't access yeah. prior to motherhood. De-
2: definitely, I, I don't. You know, until I had my own children, I was not interested in children. Um, they 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 just existed, you know. I didn't have um, you know family with children. So, and so I think. I mean, I became so popular with my children because I was socialising, I mean, well, with, you know, during the show with the Billies and the Debbies and the Michaels and the ballet girls, and they told me everything that was going on in the world, you know, of, of children. Yeah. And so I'd come home and look like I was the hippest mother in the world, so I loved them for that. But I also... It was such a privilege to work with these children my goodness they worked so hard and you know there was no star treatment for them you know they were all holed up in this house um, together they all lived in this house together apart from the ballet girls but the the three four billies the you know the michaels and the debbies and they were uh, taught during the day school in the morning and then they had class in the afternoon and they either had the show or rehearsals in the evening and so they didn't stop. They just did not stop, these
0: kids. It's extraordinary. You see shows like Billy Elliot in School of Rock, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that the talent which these young souls are able to access is extraordinary, isn't it? It's is very old heads on... Yes. ..you know, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds.
2: Yes. Mm. Um, and I remember watching them do a trick of the flip off the piano and I said to the choreographer, I said, ''Oh, my goodness!'' I said, "How do you get them to do that?" She said, "We well, just don't tell them it's hard," and that's true with kids, isn't it? Well, they have no fear. do no, they? No, no fear. I mean, you
0: know what we used to do. You know,
2: I know. There's no way
0: I'd snow ski now. No, I'm scared of breaking something.
2: And I, I uh, rode horses for quite a while, and and I now am a little bit too nervous to do yeah. that again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just it just seems a little bit like why, why on and do you know the other thing that I did that. It was actually a a real moment in my life. I was asked to go on a programme in England called um, Famous and Fearless. And they asked me if I would solo jump out of a plane. And I said, I'd done a tandem and I thought, and it was gorgeous. It was in New York. I was strapped to some big burly guy who was just delightful. Yes, (laughs) that was absolutely marvellous. You know, it was a beautiful day. I was in my shorts and, and with a bunch of friends. So I thought, yeah, that'll be... As the day went on, I, I mean, I was in a hangar in the middle of Dorset in the middle of winter, and it was so cold that, my, I mean, my my fingers, it just every part of me I wasn't prepared for, it was cold. So I did this six-hour intensive, and then they chucked me out of a plane. And... I remember thinking I mean we, we it, it went a little bit wrong because I got blown off course and so I didn't get to the airport I ended up in a field in the middle of nowhere oh, no. well. And I remember crying on the train on the way back with the sort of trauma of it all because I was literally pulling my cord I was you know steering myself down on my own and I thought to myself what what are you prepared to do to be on the television? Mm-hmm. You've got two children. Mm-hmm. Why on earth would you have jumped out of a plane?
0: And that realisation that a split second and something very tragic could have happened.
2: Yes, yeah. because, it you know, a problem did occur. Mm-hmm. And I... You know, I felt the end of my fingertips when I got home seven hours later. And do you know what? They they put me on a train home, no car home, no nothing like that. So I had to train to London, get across London, get another train home. And I thought, what, what, did, what were you thinking? And it changed, fundamentally changed me that moment.
0: Hi-ho, the glamorous life. Yes, <laughs> and it's not. No. Um... Billy Elliot, back to Billy. Yes. He sings about that, that feeling of electricity he has when he performs. Yeah. What do you feel? What's that sensation?
2: Well, when I saw that show, I th- I, couldn't, I couldn't believe uh, that i this little boy was saying... Somebody had written down exactly how I felt at ten, because I did. I felt like somebody turned the light on in my life. And, you know, I, I don't think... I was I was a very anxious child. I was, you know, we I didn't have a sort of white picket fence upbringing. You know, there was there was, you know, issues at home and and so when I found dance, it was somewhere to put and channel all of this fear and uh, but yet um, drive that I had and. I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And then I found a voice and that really took over. But when you get to do something like Chicago or Crazy For You or Cats, or, you know, and you're doing all three, it's, that, that's, it, it's a bumper, it's a bumper year, you know, to, to, to do all of that because dance will always be my first love.
0: Yeah
1: really explain it, I haven't got the words. It's a feeling that you can't control. I suppose it's like forgetting, losing who you are, but at the same time, something makes you whole. It's like that there's a music playing in your ear And I'm listening, and I'm listening And then I disappear And then I feel a change Like a fire deep inside Something burst in me wide open Impossible to hide And suddenly I'm flying Flying like a bird, like electricity, electricity, sparks inside of me, and I'm free, I'm free.
0: You've, you've had the opportunity to work up close and personal with some significant contributors to the musical. Stephen Schwartz... Elaine uh, 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 Schoenberg um, Andrew Lloyd Webber Sondheim um, and you performed the works of Lionel Bart and Kander and Ebb and Elton John mm-hmm. you've recorded a selection of Gershwin do you have a favourite composer or writing team?
2: I'm very very drawn to Kander and Ebb yeah. very drawn I've, I've just been um, messaging with uh, John Canda because I, I want to do Something specifically with him. I'm very drawn to uh, uh, Fred Ebb's lyrics. Um, I, I think they're brilliant. Don't get me wrong. Are you, you talking know? about
0: a show or, or a recording of Candiria?
2: I don't know. It, right? I don't know what at the moment. You just, you just want to add
0: that to your repertoire.
2: Yeah, right? I just I want to work with him and I want to to create something with him, whether it's a one-woman show or whether it's a show show.
0: Mm-hmm. You had the West, the Scottsboro Boys in the West End, didn't you? In yes, London. we did. It was magnificent. I saw it Broadway. What a piece of work. Yeah, yeah.
2: absolutely fantastic. The, the You know, and they've been around. All, I know Fred isn't anymore, but, um, you know, their body of work is insane. And it's so different. You know, it's not like you go, "Oh, that's a counter and that's a, mm. you know...
0: Something like Steel Pier to yes, Chicago. to Chicago,
2: to, to Flora the Red Menace, mm. to Cabaret. Know, Cabaret. Mm. Mm.
0: Great stuff, great stuff. You've been in uh, several huge juggernaut musicals. Yeah. You've been in a few flops as well. Yeah. What's it like when you get your closing notice? Very sure probably, you expected the, the run to, well, you'd hope the run would go on for quite a while and then it all stops. What's that like as a performer?
2: it's devastating actually I'm I'm because you invest so much in a new show as I said you know you're creating these and and you get very very close to all these people who have you know all but remortgaged their houses some of them you know and, and so you you want this to be a success um and also let's let's not ignore the fact that there's there's no pension for a, you know, a, a musical theatre person or, you know. So when it closes with two weeks' notice, you're kind of, OK, my, my, my livelihood stops in two weeks mm-hmm. and it's, it's back to trying to find the next thing. And um, I feel, you know, I've had a very privileged career and, you know, and so let me start by saying that. Um, but it is feast or famine for all of us and I you know and I'm one of the lucky ones who has a name so that I can you know I can get in the door for things that maybe what's what I'm seeing more and more and more is that these wonderful women that I have grown up with and men but more the women I know that I've come through the business with who are you know outstandingly talented and I just happened to get the breakout role. Mm, you mm. know, they are extraordinary talents in, in in our business, and they can't even get an audition for things because the producers want a name, mm. and they're not a name. No. And so this body of work and this unbelievable talent and you know what they've, the skill that they have, mm. they can't even get in the door.
1: It- <laughs> be quiet heroes, living quiet days, walking through the world, changing it in quiet ways. Ordinary miracles, like candles in the dark, each and every one of us lights a
0: people unless they've got so many followers on social media. Oh my
2: goodness. What about that? Well, you, you know, you're talking to a girl who isn't on Twitter, isn't on... So you
0: don't do social media I at all? I don't do no.
2: social media at all. It's probably I've, got a, I've got a Facebook yep. page. But my, you know, my problem and, and I know I'm supposed to be because that <laughs> is absolutely... The career, yeah. yeah, that mm. is absolutely true. You know, they producers want to know that Oh well, they they've got a lot of followers, so you know, good Belgium, option. Yeah. Buy seats, mm-hmm. mm. um, but I can't. I can't deal with the social media, mm. and being that you can waste hours just scrolling through, mm. and you know, people are you know normally very lovely, but there's also a, you know. You see things that sometimes you don't want to see
1: mm.
2: and that is none of your business yep.
1: yeah.
2: It's really none of your business what other people think of you. You just have to try and go on stage, do what you do and listen to the people who are a part of that, as in your director, your you know producer, your because everybody's got an opinion.
0: Well, on that, do you read reviews and do you take notice no, of reviews? No,
2: I do not read reviews right. um, because if you, it's that thing, and some I can't remember who it was who said it to me. If you believe the bad ones, you've got to believe the good ones, and if you believe the good ones, you've got to believe the bad ones. Absolutely,
0: it's yeah. and it's one person's opinion.
2: It's yeah. one person's opinion, and and it is amazing because I remember um, crazy for you. And the next day, you know, I was on the front of the Telegraph, and uh, and I'd suddenly become this—you know—it was a breakout. I was everywhere, and everybody, yeah, and the everybody, girl. Was, the it girl. <laughs> um, what do I remember about that? That next morning was one review, which said uh, neither one of them are a star. Talking about myself and my leading man, I remember that thirty. Yep whatever years later, 20, whatever year. And that was a lesson to me, which was it absolutely coloured that day Mm. when it should have been a huge celebration.
1: Mm.
2: All I could focus on was that that person, I don't even remember who it was. Mm.
0: And as performers were so vulnerable, Yes, I I guess, you've got to be vulnerable to be successful. Um, And, um, yeah... It's It's part of that actor's psychology, isn't it? It's it's just part of the job that you've got to deal with.
2: Yeah, and I I think there are very, very few people who don't have that vulnerable place in them that just... It's not... Don't get me wrong. I am not looking for everybody to turn around and go, oh, my goodness, you are the best thing. Because we all like, you know, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, potato... um we all like something very very different um we all like different music different performers so we're not going to hit the spot with everybody no. and that's really okay yeah. and it and it's got to be okay but then you don't there's a there's something going on you know with all this social media that is everybody's got an opinion and everybody wants to get that opinion to the person they've got an opinion about.
0: Yeah. And they can do it from uh, their, their uh, corner table at home.
2: That's right.
0: It would be a very different thing if they were face-to-face.
2: Very, yeah. very different thing. And, and I want to just do what I do regardless and have the people that I love, you know, do the, it's time for you to give it up, darling. You know, it's not working anymore. Yeah. Um, because yeah. I've got enough. You know who you
0: trust. That's it, really? yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. How important is costume in creating a performance for you? Very. Yeah.
2: Very, very, very. Because you wear
0: it like a second skin, don't you? Yes. Yeah.
2: You get so far in a rehearsal room, and then when that wig and that costume gets put on, suddenly there's another. You're looking at somebody different, and so you can put another little brush stroke on that. Person, it's like every character you play is a is a painting, and there are all these brush strokes that you kind of put on. And finally, you know, you get to put you know the eyes on and the lips and. And it um, extends to
0: the wig also and the shoes. And...
2: That's right, and there is something really wonderful about walking in those shoes. Mm. Um,
0: I, I heard that um, William Ivy Long with uh, Chicago, there's not two actors who've ever worn the same nope. little back dress. He designs a different. Look for every Roxy and Velma.
2: That's right, yeah. and he was uh, because he um, did the costumes for Crazy View as well. Oh. And I remember, of course, it was the first time I'd gone into something where somebody fitted a costume on you. You weren't being, you know, it wasn't being pulled out of, the, you know, the, the yes. bowels of the, you know, the Palace Theatre or whatever in is and just sort of shoving it on you. And he he lifted up my my waist. On these dresses, he said, "I'm going I'm to sort of make your waist slightly higher because I have a low waist." The difference in these dresses was just by lifting up a waist, and he put a little bit of um, uh, a shoulder pad in my dresses as well. Suddenly, you know, everything—the the, the hang of something changes. You see. His skill, you see, his. Well, there's an eye, eye isn't it? He understands
0: then, the female form and what looks right. good on stage, and yeah.
2: that's right. But I, you know, I definitely think that gay guys have got the, uh, you know, the, the 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 up on costumes on. You know, this sounds like I'm, I'm I'm sort of you know, sort of doing a um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, stereotype here, yeah. but no, the the people who know how to. Uh, you know, dress a house and dress you. Oh, always the gay guys. <laughs> They're always my gay friends. They go, oh no, you need one of those. No, don't put that on.
1: When <laughs> I go to sleep I focus on the day that's been, I realize he's there. When I turn the light off and turn over, nobody knows about my man. They think he's lost on some horizon
0: Opening nights, you've had a few. Do you have an opening night ritual?
2: Um, apart from going into uh, the nearest toilet and, you oh, know... Oh, really?
0: So you get nervous?
1: N-
2: n- yes. Yeah. Definitely. I am really happy when opening nights are over because you're building up to this, this one night that suddenly becomes hugely important to everybody because the producers are looking for the good reviews and, you know... Y- you don't really want to think that you're going to be trashed as well. Um, And you've got this... It it, it seems to be that it's all on this one night. So suddenly the stakes feel so, you know, huge. But I tend to, you know, have a word with the big man upstairs, um, you know, to just, you know, calm my nerves and just do what... You know, just to remember. All I want to do is remember the lines, Mm -hmm. because the thought of being vulnerable up there and suddenly, because I've stopped a show show twice in the West End, one on Broadway and one on, on in the West End, where I've had to say stop, and because it's been such a car crash. And
0: You've just got to recalibrate yourself and yeah, start again, yeah.
2: Because, you know, one of these ones was uh, She Loves Me, and it was the number um, Where's My Other Shoe? So we were chucking, you know, it was all props and chucking it. And I didn't realise that the the orchestra didn't vamp, that I only had two right. bars to come in, so I...
0: in silence.
2: And... I, <laughs> Honestly, it was you. It was awful. It was just awful. And so I had to say stop and put everything back in the right place and then start again. And I came off stage and one of my um, co-actors said to me, you know, I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. And I said, that was just the worst moment of my career. And he said, darling, he said, we are walking the highest tightrope in the world, live theatre and um, I mean after I'd finished laughing because it was just such a sweet thing to say live theatre, tightrope it's it is true it's
0: absolutely true it's
2: mm. completely true because you don't know what's going to happen and that's that's just the way it is and that's part of the joy you know I've done film I've done TV and there is nothing like it that live thing of Because, you know, with TV, it becomes quite technical. You have have to become skilled at being able to switch it on and turn it off and hit your mark. And, you know, it's a a technical exercise almost. And can you then put the performance on top of that and remember your lines and remember your other people's lines so that you know when to to come in? And, you know, theatre is about... Oh, it's so lovely to... To do something, people say, How do you do it eight shows a week? How do you do it for a year's contract? Being part of a company for me is the greatest joy. And I think that, you know, as a leading lady and a leading man, it's not just about your performance, it's about being that leader of a company that, because there's how supposed to be tremendous behave,
0: responsibility there, yeah. The yeah. way you behave and how
2: you behave informs a company. And if you have a leading man or leading lady who's, you know, full of ego and it it's makes things really unpleasant and it's not okay for, for, for me to see that in accompany company. And also, I think musical theatre, there is always some fabulous guy somewhere in the, the piece, or, or woman, um, who'll just say, you know, like I said before, get over, get over your cheap self, you know, get a grip. This is
0: theatre. It's musical theatre.
2: And I think people are very, very honest and there's not that sense of um, letting bad behaviour happen.
0: The two greatest words in the English language, musical theatre. Isn't the line from 42nd Street?
2: Oh, I like yeah, that. I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, it's the big uh, railway station scene. Peggy's always leaving the company or whatever and the director says something like that. The two greatest words in the English language. Yeah. That's that' Look it up, it's great. Yeah. Um, so it's, look, Ruthie, it's been a rich, rich life, full of highs and lows. Is there perhaps an autobiography in the, in the wings? Who? Who would read it?
2: Who would want to read it? I think a
0: few people would read it.
2: I never. Yeah. I, I but I guess imagine. that's what
0: you're doing in your show as well. There's a lot of autobiographical stuff that you get to communicate to an audience there.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember somebody asking me to, to, you know, whether they could, you know, write my book. Um, with me and um, I, s- I told my father and he said, you might want to wait till we're dead first darling, he said and then you can write the truth <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> Fair enough Fair enough So where can, where can we catch you on this tour? Because you've, you've done Sydney, you're off to Brisbane next I think Cuba. Yes,
2: QPAC at uh, 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 Brisbane and then Adelaide we're at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival Oh so fantastic, yeah. you're going to have a great time I know. And I
0: guess you haven't been to Brisbane or Adelaide. No, I
2: before. haven't. Yeah, excellent. I haven't. But you know, I understand. I've got to say, I do understand why people move here, why they come here and never leave, right. because there is, you know, you are all rather lovely. Oh, great!
0: Really That's lovely. To lovely. Hear. Yeah, yeah,
2: really. And I've got a friend who's over here um, doing a, a TV program. She's filming, and she said the same thing. Right. So It's just like you've known these people all your life.
0: Well, hopefully we'll see more of you then.
2: I you hope think so. Hope. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I I could quite happily spend time here.
0: Have a wonderful uh, visit. Um, and thank we hope you. you come back real soon. Thank and you. And thank you so much for uh, your generosity and giving a day off in talking to stages. I really appreciate it, Ruthie. So. Total pleasure. It's been
2: lovely to talk to you. Thank
0: you. As you can hear, Ruthie Henschel is a delight and it was a thrill to talk about her brilliant career. We must thank producer Enda Markey, who is presenting Miss Henschel, for allowing us the opportunity to record this episode. You can catch this magnificent artist on her current Australian tour. Next stop is Brisbane at the Cremorne Theatre QPAC on Tuesday the 18th and Wednesday the 19th of June. Bookings at qpac.com.au. And then at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival on June 21 and 22... She has a phenomenal voice and true star quality, Miss Ruthie Henshaw. I hope you've enjoyed this very special edition of The Stages podcast. You see, it is worth subscribing. You never know who'll drop in to the chair and surprises. Join me next Thursday when I'm joined by composer and accompanist Ron Crager. We'll listen to some of the scores he's written for the stage and discuss his period in Australia as accompanist to some of our preeminent vocalists. I'm Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to Stages.
1: When you're good to mama, mama.